I'm Steph. And I'm Drew. And you're listening to Spirited Spirits. Department of West Sussex were not ready for what they found when they raided a warehouse at the end of Leopold Road. As they entered, the smell of death was overwhelming, masked only by that of a chemical agent. As they shined their lights around the room, they found multiple 40-gallon drums and containers of concentrated sulfuric acid. One of the constables cried out, Quick, outside! As the investigators left out the back door, they were met with a horrible sight. 28 pounds of melted human body fat, part of a human foot, human gallstones, and part of a denture. John George High, the acid bath murderer, had been caught. Ugh. Yeah. And I, I've kind of heard of this one before. I feel like we mentioned it in a previous episode as in reference to something. Did we? Um, yeah, but I didn't delve too much into it. Okay. I think. I don't know. It's pretty. Uh, maybe not. Right. It's pretty sick. So, um, again, looking at my man as a real monster, I looked up some of the most gruesome <laughs> serial killers. And this one was widely discussed yeah so that's why sounds pretty sick real quick before we uh jump in further into the story um we did we just kept it simple tonight um we've got thanksgiving stuff going on this weekend and next week so um we are drinking chateau how i think that's how it's pronounced uh it's a grand vin de bordeaux white wine uh founded at total wine and uh yeah, I think it would pair well with some turkey, some roast turkey, and right. some of the sides. Typical with Thanksgiving, so. Probably not pair well with human body fat. Um, no. That's, her, that's morbid. <laughs> I mean, it is. What um, would you, oh, never mind. I don't, no. never mind. <laughs> like, we do not. You were going to ask what wine was going to pair well with oh, human body God. fat. Oh, God. Okay, move on, move on. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'd like to go ahead and point out that as Steph was... Um, trying to pronounce that bottle. I'm gonna go ahead and do a disclaimer that there's a lot of names in here that are difficult to pronounce. So mm-hmm. you're gonna have to just bear with me. All right. So, um, so back to High or John George High. Um, you know he didn't start off by shoving bodies into barrels. So let's go back to the beginning and see what, yeah. went, wrong, what yeah. went wrong. High was born in Stamford, Lincolnshire. Lincolnshire. He was the son of John. Robert High, who was an engineer, and his wife, Emily. He was an only child, 
and the family was a part of the Plymouth Brethren, a conservative Protestant sect. It's interesting to note here that later in life, High started, stated that he suffered from reoccurring religious nightmares as a child. Oh, does he expand on that? Like, what kind of reoccurring religious nightmares? He doesn't. Not in the research that I saw. He just stated that. Okay. Okay. I'm just curious. So, High wanted scholarship to Queen Elizabeth Grammar School in Wakefield and attended the Wakefield Cathedral, where he was a choir boy. Just like his father, he was interested in engineering, apprenticing a firm um, that did like they, they engineered motors. Mm. He left the job within a year, taking to insurance and advertising. At age 21, he committed his first crime. He stole from a cash box. But he moved on to forging um, car documents. Huh. What what do you mean forge, forging car documents? Like So I think it was just like forging um I honestly it didn't say. Like so like, like signing off on car loans? Yeah, or like, signing off like on car loans and stuff like that that you know he couldn't really pay back or, or whatever. Uh, okay. Interesting. So on July sixth, nineteen thirty four, High married twenty three year old Beatrice Betty Hammer. However, it did not last long. That same year, High was jailed for fraud. While in prison, Betty gave birth to a baby girl who she quickly put up for adoption and left High. Aww. High moves to London in 1936 and becomes a chauffeur to William McSwan, a wealthy owner of amusement arcades. High was also in charge of maintaining the machines due to his engineering background. Despite having a paying job, the draw of nefarious activities were too tempting. High began to pretend to be a solicitor named William Cato Adamson with offices in Chancery Lane, London, Guildford, Surrey, and Hastings, Sussex. He sold fraudulent stock shares from the estates of deceased quote-unquote clients at below market rates. He was caught due to misspelling Guildford as Guilford, and he spelled it as G-U-I-L-F-O-R-D. So he left out the D in guild yeah. on his letterhead, which I guess was like the smoking gun to catch him. Like I thought, I mean, I, I, I tried to like dive deep into some of the research to see like, really, was that the one thing that he was caught on was just missing the D out of Guildford? Yeah. But yeah, apparently that was the thing that, that you know, caught him on that. <laughs> Hmm, interesting. Right. High was charged and went to prison for four years, being released at the start of the Second World War. However, he didn't learn his lesson, as he continued to conduct fraudulent activities and was sentenced to several more terms of imprisonment. While in prison, he realized that his biggest regret was, quote, leaving his fraud victims alive to report his crimes. Oh, gosh. Mm -hmm. So he's already setting himself up to be, like, a murderer. and Right. Like, the the petty crimes and fraud and stuff are not, like, doing it for him. They're not giving well, him what he Well, it's wants. not enough because also he's he's not getting what he wants. He's not getting away with it. Right. He keeps getting caught. Right. So how do you stop getting caught? You silence those that are having you get caught. Right. So he started to become obsessed with a French murderer, and again, this is one of those ones about pronunciation. I think it's... It's uh, George 
Alexandre Surette. Okay. George was infamous in the early 1920s. His track record for fraud and scams were very similar to, similar to High. In 1925, he felt that his accomplice, Louis Chambon Duvoir. I think it's Louis okay. Chambon Duvoir. You're, you're better at the French than I am. Yeah. Was becoming too greedy. George killed him and his mistress, Naomi Ballandur, dumping their corpses in sulfuric acid to dispose of their bodies. So Hyde knew this was the way to dispose of victims so they couldn't talk to police. He started to experiment with field mice, finding that it only took 30 minutes for the body of the mice to dissolve. So what's interesting here is that I think he actually did some sort of calculation to identify, okay, this is how long a field like mouse experimentation. Yeah, will take to dissolve in this acid. And like this field mouse only weighs like let's say how like a couple ounces maybe. Mm-hmm. So the a two hundred pound man will right. take quote unquote this long. Which I mean It's very scientific yeah, about it. Serial killer math. I mean, <laughs> try, I mean, let's, that's very interesting that that's what yeah. occurred. So when he was released from prison in 1943, Hyde became an accountant with an engineering firm. He worked tirelessly for his pay, something he was not fond of. One night in 1944, as luck would have it, he came across his former employer, William McSwain, in a Kensington pub. McSwain was there with his parents, Donald and Amy, whom he introduced Hyde to. As they chatted, McSwain detailed how he worked for his parents collecting rents from their London properties. Hyde became increasingly jealous of their lavish lifestyle and the little effort it took to achieve it. On the night of September 6, 1944, Hyde called upon McSwain for a night out. Afterward, he lured him to an abandoned basement on Gloucester Road. I think it's Gloucester. You're Glou- just going to be my... Um... Gloucester? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's it fine. Is a... you, yeah. you just co- correct me when well, you I know don't even that know I'm, if I'm right on these pronunciations because I'm having trouble with them. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. It kind of, I just... Right. For some reason, I think it's Gloucester. Gloucester right. Road. And but pardon, I could be, if, if any, we're wrong, if we have any listeners that listen in the if UK, you feel the need, I, can, email us. You can email us or tag us. Tell us how dumb we are. You can tell us how dumb we are. It's fine. I'll take it. I completely understand. <laughs> we're from Kentucky. We're okay? from Kentucky. We can't pronounce anything right. Mm. Um, all we right. say Versailles. We do. We do call it Versailles. Right, we're getting off topic. Okay, sorry. <laughs> all right. So filled with rage and jealousy. Hyde took a lead pipe and repeatedly bashed McSwain on the head, killing him. Then, using his grim knowledge from his research, he lowered the body of William McSwain into a 40-gallon drum filled with concentrated sulfuric acid. Waiting two days due to his calculations, he went back to the basement, finding that his body had mostly dissolved and poured the remains into a manhole. Yeah, I've heard this story before. I can't, I don't know if we covered it or not, but I for sure have heard this story before. Um, 
does it say like how like what did he did no one raise concerns about him ordering well, that amount of of sulfuric acid what you're was right. he using I, it for i tried to find like if there was any type of information of how he procured like all this sulfuric acid, right? And that isn't no... something you just go to Home Depot and get, right? Well, there was no Home Depot, but you know, so... you know what I mean, though. Like but, you don't go to your right, but I I couldn't find anything about how he even got it. But there had to be something that maybe it was his engineering skills, like he knew people. Maybe first, I don't know. Is that I mean, used in some? I don't shit. So... I don't know. Never mind. <laughs> anyway, so. Um, William McSwain's parents were searching for their missing son and asked Hyde if he had seen William. Hyde told them that William had just gone into hiding in Scotland to avoid being drafted into the military. Hmm. Hyde then moved in with the McSwains to, quote, help them out during their stressful time of attempting to find their son. He began collecting the rent checks for the parents' estates. However, World War II was coming to an end, and the Swains were curious why their son had not returned. This made High nervous as he settled into his new lavish lifestyle. On July 2nd, 1945, High lured the McSwains to Gloucester? Gloucester Road, telling him their son had returned for a surprise visit. He walked them into the abandoned basement where he had killed William and bashed them over the head with the same lead pipe. Mm. He disposed of their bodies the same way, two 40-gallon barrels with sulfuric acid, and then down the manhole they were pulled. So he just got rid of, <laughs> of an entire family. So Yeah. <clears throat> okay. After he disposed of the entire McSwain family, High stole their pension checks and sold the parents' property for 8,000 euros, moving to Onslow Court Hotel in Kensington. Along with being a serial killer, though, High was also very much addicted to gambling. By 1947, he was running short on money, so he had to find another wealthy victim. Intercouple Archibald and Rose Henderson a wealthy couple in the area. After pretending to be interested in the house they were selling, Rose, finding High very charming, invited him to play piano for them at their housewarming party. While at their flat, he secretly stole Archibald's revolver, planning to use it for his next crime. Interesting. So I guess, I'm assuming, she wouldn't just invite him to play piano unless he mentioned, like, casually that he... Oh, you know, I play piano. And then... Yeah, and I think also, like, he, he was schmoozing them pretty yeah. hard. Yeah, he's, he seems that's kind he, of his... Yeah, he, target, he targets, targets, like, wealthy folk and kind of, like, you know, befriends them. Mm -hmm. And then hits them with a lead pipe and shoves them into a barrel. Mm. So, on February 12, 1948, Hyde drove Archibald to his warehouse to show him an invention that he was working on. They had become close friends, so Archibald didn't question it. When they arrived, High shot Archibald with his own revolver. Oh. He then drove back to the Hendersons' flat in a fanged panic, telling Rose that her husband had fallen ill and to come quickly. He lured her to the warehouse where he shot her as well, 
After disposing of their bodies in the acid-filled drums, he forged a letter with their signatures and sold all their possessions for, again, 8,000 euros. Except their cat and dog. He kept those. Okay, so I, I thought you were going to tell me that he put the cat and the dog in the acid. No. Um, the animals stay alive in this one. No animals were okay. harmed in this. Well, at least he has some morals, right? <laughs> Towards animals. It's like this. Oh, God. So, I guess I guess he really liked the cat and the dog. I guess. So, Hai rented a small workshop at, at 2 Leopold Road in Crawley, West Sussex. Where he moved the acid. I think it's Crawley. All right, Crawley. Crawley. See? Okay. I don't know. Can't pronounce these street names. Okay, go ahead. Uh, where he moved the acid and the drums from the abandoned basement on... At Gloucester? Gloucester Road. This was due to the fact that he was staying in a hotel in the area called the George. However, there was a slight problem. There was no manhole near the workshop. And this would be his downfall. Okay. So again, Hyde had, again, run out of money. So it was time to acquire a new victim. He recently met a widow by the name of Olive Durand Deacon, who was 69. She'd recently moved into the Onslow Court Hotel in which High was staying at the time. When Olive found that High was a, quote, engineer, she mentioned that she had a wonderful idea for artificial nails. Like fingernails. Okay? <laughs> that's, that's exactly what Oh, you're an engineer? Great! I have this amazing idea. We're going to create artificial fingernails. Hey, if she figured it out, she probably would have been a multimillionaire. Okay, no, I know. Artificial <laughs> so, fingernails are a thing. But, like, why would an engineer be needed for... you got to engineer this, those fake fingernails, Stephanie. <laughs> okay. So, he was elated and invited <clears throat> her to his workshop on Leopold Road on the fe February 18th, 1949. There he shot her in the back of the neck with Archibald's stolen revolver, stripped her of her valuables, including her Persian lamb coat. He then placed her in the acid-filled drum. Okay, so he's moved on from the lead pipe, and now he's shooting people. Yes. It takes a lot less effort to just shoot someone versus well, bash him over and, the head. And it's a dead man's revolver, so you can't trace it. Right. I mean, I don't even think they could trace it back then anyway. Yeah, like, I don't you know, know. It's like, you know... But it'd be tricky. Right. So I had thought he had gotten away with it. This workshop was a little different. It didn't have a floor drain like the last location did, but it didn't matter to him. He dumped her partially melted remains out back of the workshop. Oh my God. What an idiot. However, two days after her disappearance, Olive's best friend, Constance Lane, reported her missing. You're talking about partially melted roma remains. Mm -hmm. Just he, like, just dumped it in the back on this, like, What a mat. fucking moron. Mm -hmm. Because I think the thing is, though, is the manhole was the reason why he was getting away with it, because he was just pouring it, pouring the remains down in there, so there's no, like, real evidence. Well, well, and depending on the level of how much, like, this is saying partially right. melted. Right, so I don't know if he got, like... There were probably pieces of her that were still, like... Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, I mean, that's what I discussed Right, so what, what is, okay. So I guess maybe, you know, he was hurrying a little bit because he's like, yeah, I've done this before. 
Yeah, he got okay. cocky. He got cocky. That's what happens. Yes. Yeah. Fucking serial killers. So detectives questioned people at the hotel who disclosed that they had seen High and Olive spending time together. They questioned High and found records of his theft and his fraud. They went to search his workshop, and like I said at the beginning, when they arrived, the smell of death was overwhelming along with a strong chemical smell. They found High's briefcase containing a receipt for dry cleaning, which was Olive's coat, Mm. and papers referring to the Hendersons and the McSwains. Keith Simpson, the local pathologist, detailed that there were, again, 28 pounds of human body fat, part of a human foot, human gallstones, and part of a denture found at the scene. Yeah, so, real quick, I'm not a chemist. Chemist? Chemist? I'm not a chemist. Um... How is the body fat rendered? Like, how does that work with acid? Well, I am not a chemist either. I am a behavioral health professional, <laughs> so I wouldn't be able to talk about that science. However, um, I would feel like due to the fact that there was a chemical reaction where the acid is breaking down most of the body fat and things that are left over would probably be like it's separated it's separated yeah. yeah the only thing i could think is like when you have salad dressing and you have like white That's wine disgusting. vinegar right I'm never you have, have a vinegar base I'm... and then you have add olive oil and they clearly separate and you could see i'm never gonna be able to have salad dressing ever again now, thank you <laughs> that's the only thing i could think but yeah and then part of a human foot oh Mm. Yeah, part of the foot, and then her dentures. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, Albert Webb, the detective inspector on the case, after finding the remains of Mrs. Olive Duran Deacon, questioned High. High turned to him and said, Tell me, frankly, what are the chances of anyone being released from Broadmoor? Which is was, was like a high security psych hospital. Mm-hmm. So he's already going to try and play the mental health card. Like, he's he's crazy. The inspector shook his head and said, I can't discuss that type of thing. High replied, well, if I told you the truth, you would not believe me. It sounds too fantastic to believe. High confessed to the murders of Duran Deacon, the McSwains, and the Hendersons, as well as three other people. That were not mentioned. Oh. A young man named Max, a young girl from Eastbourne, and a woman from Hammersmith. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So we, there's no evidence of people, of like any type of like person like disappearing and then, oh, yeah, like this person may have done this. So I don't know if he was like adding fuel to the fire of the people that he killed and he didn't actually come, or he actually did it and like these people just. They could have Probably. just been people on the street, yes, but like exactly. you know, homeless that's, people that's what or I'm saying. orphan or So during the trial, Keith Simpson, the pathologist, brought forth the evidence, having Olive's dentist identify her partial denture to the jury. Oh god. High pleaded insanity, stating, quote, that he drunk the, the blood, blood of, of his, his victims. victims. It was. So I did mention this one briefly in the vampire one. Oh, I, I don't remember. That was like our second one. I think I was one? talking about the vampire. Yes. I Yes. Okay. You remember yep. this one? Yep. Okay. Yep. He detailed that he had dreams of blood as a young boy 
and when he was involved in a car crash in 19 or March 1944, his dreams returned to him. Quote, I saw before me a forest of crucifixes, which gradually turned into trees. At first, there appeared to be dew or rain dripping from the branches, but as I approached, I realized it was blood. The whole forest began to write and the trees dark and erect to ooze blood. A man went from each tree catching blood. When the cup was full, he approached me. Drink, he said, but I was unable to drink. Okay, so here is your, um, where he was talking about when he was younger, and he would have dreams about um, the religious. Mm -hmm. This is what I think it is. It's because, you know, the, you said he was a Protestant, right? Right. His background was in Protestant. Yeah, he, he was part of a Protestant sect. Yeah, conservative. Mm -hmm. You know, so they were probably talking about, you know, when you take the sacrament, you take like the blood of Christ and the body of Christ. Right. This is probably partly those dreams, like this idea of like drinking the blood. Do you think these are actually dreams? I mean, maybe not, but this this is what he's saying, and that's what I'm associating based right. on. Well, we'll get. I want to. We'll get to theories okay. at the end. Okay. But I, I I want you to put a pin in that. Okay. Okay. The Attorney General at the time, Sir Harley Shawcross led the prosecution, urged the jury to throw out the idea of an insanity plea due to the fact that he had acted with, quote, malice aforethought, which nowadays is called predetermination. So Sir David Maxwell Five, the defense attorney, called many witnesses to attest that High's mental state, including an MD by the name of Sir Henry Yellowlees, who later would become the chief medical officer of the UK. Yeldees stated that High had paranoid constitution, or nowadays paranoid personality disorder, and that, quote, the absolute callous, cheerful, bland, and almost friendly indifference of the accused to the crime, which he freely admits having committed, is unique in my experience. Albert Webb, the detective inspector on the case, was put on the stand where he told of the conversation with High and how High was wondering about the sentence term in psych hospital versus mm -hmm. jail. Mm -hmm. It took minutes for the jury to convict High of his crimes. He was sentenced to death and was hanged on August 10th, 1949. Yeah. So, so what, are, what are your thoughts on this one? I mean, I'd actually like to hear your thoughts. Because I'm kind of chewing on some different things. So I I think that this guy really... Okay, so he, he wasn't born, like, poor or anything. He wasn't... He was actually born into a pretty well-off family. Like, they had... He gave, was given, like, piano lessons. Mm -hmm. He went to, like, operas, those type of things. He, he went to a well-off school. But then he started to do, like, petty crimes... Went to jail, and then I, th I guess because maybe he wasn't able to be really going into what he wanted to do, like you know, job wise. I guess he continued to do, like he wasn't getting the money that he wanted, and so he started to do more nefarious stuff because it's easy money, right? Yeah. Like with the, with like the fraudulent stuff, but he's leaving his vic like his 
you know, people that are telling on him a lot. Yeah, but it takes a special like it's it 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 goes from from the fraud and the theft or whatever, and then it's all a this, straight murder. Yeah, yeah, as a means of like covering up, and so I mean he could have chosen other. So I think there's always some some biological. There's got to be some. There's got to be some. I mean, there has to clearly be something mentally wrong with him in yes. some way. But my my big thing is that he complete he completes the first couple murders and he's like relishing in the fact that he gets to like live this lavish lifestyle. And he doesn't seem to have remorse. None, because I think that's the thing is that he he gets to do what he wants to do, which is, you know, have all this money. He gets money and like um profit without having to do a lot you know that was the whole point is that like you know when with the mcswains Mm -hmm. like he wanted that oh i just collect this rent check from you every month and i get money instead of having to work my ass off right sold but i can't do that while you're here so i'm gonna knock you off and melt you into goo and pour you down a manhole. But he didn't think far enough in advance that, that that's not going to last. You're not going to be able to. Right, because he was, he was that impulsive gambler, too. Like, that's the other thing, too, is he gambles away all of his stuff. Like, he had 8,000 euros, which at that time, I don't know what the, like, you yeah, know, the rate know. is, but that's a lot. I would think it would be a lot, yeah. So, but the thing is, though, the, the thing that gets him in the end is he literally tells the detective, oh, by the way, like, how long do you think it would be if I was in, you know, Broadmoor or whatever, the, the psych hospital? I mean, that gets him. Mm-hmm. Because at that point, he's pretty much telling the cop, like, I'm going to do an insanity defense and I'm not insane. Right. So. But, well, again, he's got to have some type of mental disorder because most people don't go around killing right. people. Right. So, you know, and complete lack of or disregard for human life. Well, there's a lack of empathy, too. Yeah. So there's got to be something there, but he's still guilty of these crimes, mm-hmm. and he deserves to be punished. And they chose death by hanging. So yeah, it's a very interesting case. I I, I found it it was interesting of how he got rid of his victims. Yeah. So you don't see acid drums very often anymore. No. So that's a new one on me. Well, again, I don't know how hard it is to get that kind of acid. To... I know. Anyway. Well, I'm never going to be able to eat salad dressing again, so I'm just going <laughs> to eat dry salads for the rest of my life. Well, you like ranch. I, I guess I, I guess I can still have that one. No yeah, vinaigrettes for the rest of my life. Yeah, or Italian. Yeah. <laughs> well. Um, yeah, so thanks for joining us this week for, you know, this week's episode of Spirit of Spirits. Please remember to follow us on Instagram at spirited underscore spirits underscore podcast and to email us with any stories that you would like to share, like us to share on air. We're still, we've gotten a couple of like questions. Um, and yeah, we like should that. probably know, like the people have reached out to us for like advice. Um, yeah. I'm not sure we're qualified, we're not really qualified to provide advice for like paranormal stuff. Um, I mean, we've had a few experiences, but nothing like major. And so, um, you know, we would recommend that you reach out to, if you're a religious person, please reach out to, you know, a pastor, priest, Mm -hmm. rabbi, whomever, um, for, for that kind of help or, um, yeah, I, I mean, just, unfortunately, I'm so sorry, but we, we can't, can't, we can't provide, um, advice. Yeah. We are not professionals in that way. I'm so sorry. 
but we love to hear your stories and Mm -hmm. um, we empathize with you um, and we're so appreciative of our followers. So um, email us at contactspiritedspirits at gmail.com if you would like to um, tell us your story and if you have any story ideas, we'd love to hear them. And um, as always, we hope that you will continue to listen as we sip on spirits and talk about spirits. Yep. Bye. Bye.